It's good to look out and see those who've come out to worship our God tonight. I think our number's down a good bit tonight. We have some away, some sick, and some may be visiting, but there may be some that need to be checked on and make sure they're all right this evening. Happy to be together, but I need some light up here. Sorry about that again. Somebody remind me to do this before I get ready to preach. But it is good to be together with you. And uh, look tonight, I think, at a, a lesson that will help us as we live our lives to be able to deal with sin in a positive way when we fall prey to it. John Greenleaf Whittier wrote that for all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. When we look back at our lives and think of the things that might have been and might have been a whole lot better if we hadn't goofed up, if we hadn't missed the opportunity, if we hadn't committed the sin, uh, there's a lot of truth that those are some sad words. It might have been. What might have been in our lives spiritually if, if, in fact, we had not given in to the sin that we committed? When we long to undo the harmful and shameful things we've done in the times past, but we find ourselves marred and scarred by those deeds, that's the very definition of regret. That's regret. We seldom realize it at the time when we're tempted to sin and when we fall prey to sin. But when we commit sin, we damage our own soul. The damage is not irreparable, but it is deep, it is lasting. And without the help of Jesus, it will never mend. So when, we, when we're dealing with sin and the harm that it's done to our souls, one of the question just boils down to this. Do we want to live with regrets or do we want to find remission, right? And you would say, well, that's, preacher, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? Anybody would just go ahead and get remission of sins and not live with their regrets. Really? Anybody would? Apparently not. <laughs> because there are a lot of folks living with regrets. And many who may be Christians are living with regrets, and really unnecessarily. If you just boil it down to that question, do you want regrets or do you want remission, everybody would say they want remission. And given the fact that it's really not all that difficult to get remission, what's holding us back? Why is it that we live with a regret, or two, or a thousand? Regret caused by sin. So that's kind of where we're going tonight. In Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 36, the wise man talking about God's wisdom, he says to us, he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. So when you sin against the will of God expressed in his wisdom, you are hurting yourself. You are harming your own soul. And that's what we want to avoid, but if we haven't avoided it, that's what we want to be able to repair. So we have to start tonight with some very simple things. These are things that we repeat from time to time, things that... Young people need to take note of things that if you were asleep the last time I talked about this, pay attention now. Uh, very basic, very basic, simple facts about a very basic, simple human problem. In fact, the simple human problem, and that is sin. Sin is our problem. But what is it? Sin is defined in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, of course, as lawlessness. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's just stating it, isn't it? Sin is lawlessness. Some translations say sin is a transgression of the law. So the word sin, 
uh, comes from a word which actually means to miss the mark as an archer is shooting at a target and he misses it short or he misses it long or from the, one side to the other side. He does everything but get it in the, in the target. He has sinned in terms of archery, right? That's, the Greek word is harmatia and that's what it meant. So the target is law. Uh, the people who are having problems with grace this morning are going to have problems with this tonight. The, tar- the target is law. That's the target. That's what we're aiming for. And when we miss it, that is lawlessness, which is the very definition of sin. Now, you can miss it high, and you can miss it low, and you can miss it to one side or the other, but when you miss the target of the law and you're outside of the law, you have sinned by definition. That's what it means. And that's the thing that will mar our souls. Sin is unrighteousness. It is unrighteousness. It ain't right. Right as defined by what God says. In 1 John 5 and verse 17, and 1 John does a super job of helping us understand in very simple terms what sin is and what's wrong with it and how it uh, mars our fellowship with God and hurts ourselves and what we need to do to get over it. Probably 1 John may be the uh, more clear book in the scriptures concerning that, but 1 John 5, 17 says all unrighteousness is sin. So anything that isn't right is sin. If it isn't right, it's sin. All unrighteousness is sin. And sin often involves devising foolishness. In the book of Proverbs, particularly in the Old Testament wisdom literature, uh, foolishness and being foolish is... um, not so much maybe how we think of being foolish today. Uh, we think of being foolish as, you know, doing things that, that, that don't make any sense, making horrible mistakes, uh, maybe sometimes even to be laughed at. Sin is all of that on a more serious note, perhaps. When the wise man talks about foolishness and being a fool in the book of Proverbs, he's talking about moral foolishness. He's talking about spiritual foolery, if you will. And so he says in Proverbs 24 and verse 9 that the devising of foolishness is sin and the scoffer is an abomination to men. And in Proverbs 19 and verse 2, he says, Also it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he who sins, who hastens with his feet, the foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against God. I want you to notice in those two verses how the the foolishness of sin and here's a person who's doing things against his soul without knowledge. Those things are, are, are bound up together. So you're harming your soul by your own foolishness in sin. You ever become aware of Somebody else's sin, maybe. And you're just getting the news about so-and-so committed this, whatever it is. Maybe they're telling you. And you're thinking, how foolish can that be? How, how foolish can anybody be to do such a thing as that? But that's the nature of sin. And often, the person who's committing it, at the time, doesn't see the foolishness of it, obviously. And doesn't see how it's going to look to everybody else, obviously, including God. But sin is foolishness. Sin is also described in 
Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, as being whatever is not from faith. In Romans 14, the Apostle Paul is talking about things that we can have different opinions about, but we need to have convictions about them. So I might believe that it's best for me as a Christian not to eat meat, for instance. And so if that's what I believe, and that's what I believe would be best for me in trying to serve the Lord, then I shouldn't eat meat. And if I do eat meat, because I don't believe I should do it, but if I do it anyway, I've sinned. That might not be a sin for everybody else, but if I have determined, matter of opinion about whether or not eating meat is good, or drinking coffee is good, or lots of other things, right? But if I've determined I shouldn't do that, then if I do that, I've sinned. Because whatever is not of faith, and here he's talking about your personal belief about what you ought to do or not do in the realm of opinion, if you will, or things that are allowed but not required by God. He who doubts is condemned if he eats. Talking about eating meat. He who doubts is condemned if he eats, Paul says, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And then, fifthly, what sin is, is not doing good when you know you should. So you know here's something that is good to do, you have the opportunity and the means to do it, and you don't do it. The question is, when the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side of the road, did they sin? They had opportunity to do good. They knew they should have done good. They didn't do it. So we, when we have the opportunity to do good, we pass by that and we don't do it. That's sin. James says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So this is sin. This is how the Bible defines it, describes it. Sin afflicts the soul with guilt and humiliation. Maybe not immediately, but certainly when it's found out, often before then. In Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, we have a situation that comes up in Ezra's day, and it involves the sin of his people. Ezra's not even really directly involved, but he feels the guilt and the shame of all of it nonetheless, as we all should. In Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, Ezra prays, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, you my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. He recognizes the national guilt, if you will, of the people of Israel. And he recognizes the horrible burden of all of that and the words that he uses involve humiliation and shame and the feeling of guilt for having wronged God. We would say, well, sin is an embarrassment. I'm embarrassed about my sins. You embarrassed about your sins? Should be. Should be. And I don't know about you, but embarrassment is an unpleasant feeling to me. I don't like to be embarrassed. You? I don't like to live with embarrassment. But that's what sin does to us. Living in this state of being embarrassed about what we've done in the sight of God and before Him under heaven. So that leads sort of to the next thing, and that is that uh, sin afflicts the soul with self-loathing. People 
hate themselves in the inner man because of what they've done and maybe what they continue to do. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel puts the problem of sin and couches it in that, that kind of language numbers of times. So I'm going to look at uh, three passages. Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 9. And you remember that Ezekiel is prophesying in a time when God's people had sinned for so long and disregarded his law for so long, they were now in Babylonian captivity. Even as Ezekiel is writing in Ezekiel chapter 6, the Babylonians are about to conquer, wipe out Jerusalem. And during the time that Ezekiel prophesied in Babylon, that actually happened. By the time he's writing in Ezekiel 36, it has happened. But let's read these verses. Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 9. Listen carefully. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they were carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which, was departed, which has departed from me and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations. We did wrong. We did a lot of wrong. We kept on doing wrong. And we're suffering for it now. And boy, do I hate myself. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 43. There you shall remember your ways and your doings with which you were defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. Loathe yourselves in your own sight. It's not that just, it's not just that others may be thinking ill of you or uh, talking about what a terrible... You know, that's people overridden with guilt. They want to project that onto others. You know, they loathe themselves and, and then they want to say, well, others are looking down on me or others are judging me and all this sort of thing. Well, you're judging yourself. You ought to be. Stop projecting that onto other people. The sin is yours. Own it. The loathing you brought on yourself, own that. Sin has done that to your soul. And you did the sin. That's what you see in this text. Ezekiel 36, verses 31 and 32. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight. Again, same phrase. For your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. The just result of sin. And I want you to understand, none of this is happy to talk about. None of this is pleasant to talk about. But what we need to realize, as God's people, as the people of Ezekiel's day needed to realize, is here's what sin does to you. And that's the seriousness of sin. It mars the soul. It destroys us in the inner man. It's not, it's not a game. It's no fun. It's not even pleasant to talk about or describe what happens to us as a result of sin in our inner man. I don't like saying these things. But it is the way it is. And that leads to horrible depression. We see this repeatedly in Scripture when people sin. Psalm 40 and verse 12. Innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. I can't even raise my head. I'm so down and depressed. They are more than the hairs of my head. 
therefore my heart fails me. In the inner man, I am just so far down, so low, as a result of my iniquities. Verse, chapter 38 and verse 4 of the Psalms, or Psalm 40, 38 and verse 4. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And then Isaiah 57 and verse 20. The wicked, the wicked, Isaiah says, are like a troubled sea. You ever, I'm sure you have, maybe you've gone down to the beach and you were hoping, uh, like I have on a time or two, to be able to you know, do a little snorkeling or something like that. You, you imagine the nice uh, flat waters with no wind and all that sort of thing and uh, getting down and getting to see the little fishies under the water and all that sort of thing. So you're experiencing all of that and then you get down there and the waves are like four feet high and there's no way you're going to snorkel unless you want to snorkel upside down because the waves will turn you over all the time. So you, that's, that doesn't happen. But you stand there at the by the troubled sea and the sea is troubled and it's not going to stop being troubled for a while. Right? It doesn't just all of a sudden go calm. It's, it's just moving. And so it is kind of on the inside of us. The wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest. The waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. It's talking about inner peace. You're a troubled sea. Sin afflicts the soul with the inability to think straight. There is what um, psychologists with a biblical worldview call a noetic effect, which has to, the noetic has to do with the, the mind and the thinking. And it's the negative effect of sin on the minds of people. This effect changes our thinking and our ability to understand. It's not that the mind becomes incapacitated by sin, not exactly, but it, it's that sin has a deteriorating effect on our thought processes and our, our ability to think and believe in a straightforward fashion. The, the, this effect is, is primarily seen with regard to understanding or perception of spiritual things. So, if I could just put that in plain language, here's what I've seen, and you've seen it too. Somebody falls away from the Lord. They commit a sin or a series of sin and it overwhelms their lives and they, they, they leave the Lord, they leave His body. It might be somebody who, who's for years been faithful to the Lord uh, in His service, but all of a sudden all of this overwhelms them. And they're completely absorbed in their sins. And, and they fall away and they stay fallen away and over a period of time they try to justify themselves, they try to make themselves feel better, they, they blame the church, they, uh, again, project their problems onto others. They rationalize their, their very being. And they try to get over these first three things that we've talked about. Not being depressed all the time. Their guilt and humiliation. Their self-loathing. They work on that over a number of years. And then one day you run into them and you try to have a spiritual conversation with them. And they don't know the first thing about spiritual things. These are people maybe that even taught Bible classes and, and whatever. You can't get to first base with them because they, they, they can't think from here to there spiritually. And their mind is ruined. Just ruined. Now, if you haven't had that experience with somebody, uh, you probably haven't been around too long. I don't know, maybe young people. But if you've lived a while, you've probably seen that a number of times. So here's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Talking about people here who are in the world. 
Therefore, he says, Paul says, I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So notice the descriptions of the minds of people in the world. They're walking in futility, their understanding is darkened, they are ignorant, and they are blind. And being past feeling then, they've given themselves over to lewdness. They can do that which is evil with impunity and without it hurting them, but their mind's not working. Their mind's not working. To work all uncleanness with greediness. Lust and lewdness are working within them, but their mind's not working. There were people that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 that although they knew God, that one time, this, these people I'm talking about a minute ago, they actually knew God, yet they did not glorify Him as God, and nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They can't think anymore. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an incorruptible God to the likeness of four-footed beasts and creeping things. And then, Proverbs 4 and verse 19, the way of the wicked is darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Because they can't think straight. They can't draw a straight line from, if I do this, I'm going to fall into that. That's what sin has done. And here's what Jesus says about it. Simple words, maybe just to cut to the heart of all of that, Jesus says in John 8 and verse 34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You know, he was talking on that occasion to the Jews. And uh, he says this to them. They say, we've never been slaves to anybody. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're not slaves. We're not slaves of sin. We're Abraham's children. We've got all of this justified and ratified and figured out. We haven't got any problems. They didn't even know how to think about their problems. They didn't know how to come to an understanding of what their real problems were. They were completely blind to them because sin had blinded their hearts and they were slaves to sin. And lastly, on this chart, you have this feeling of entrapment and slavery that comes second to lastly, I should say. The feeling of being trapped. The feeling of no escape. Can't get out. Can't overcome it. Proverbs 5.22 His own iniquities entrap the wicked man and he's caught in the cords of his sin. Proverbs 22 and verse 5 Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. So guard your soul, but if you're in the way of the perverse, there are thorns and there are snares, things that will catch you and not let you go. And lastly, there is death. Death comes from sin. The wages of sin is death. Your iniquities... Isaiah 59, 2 says, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. In all of this, as, as Paul has, has said to the Romans, 
we are defiled fully and wholly. We are trapped in our sins. Our minds and our conscience have become defiled, as we've said. Our iniquities separate us from God. And that's what death is. It's a separation. And even though we may be living, we're dead as a consequence of sin. Paul writes to first, in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6, that she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. There's a person who's supposed to be a Christian, just given over to pleasures, living in sin, dead while she lives. How do we heal that? Do we want all those regrets? Do we want that misery of the soul? That's what we'll have unless we find healing. And we find healing through remission. And I think I should stop and say this here. The thing about sin, all of these effects will come, but they may not come immediately. You ever heard of asbestos? Asbestos. So, asbestos takes the form of a soft kind of rock, uh, naturally. It was used starting in the early 1900s to, for lots of purposes. I was fascinated with it as a boy when I realized you could make a, a cloth out of it that didn't burn. You know, I don't know if you're aware, that's pretty cool. They used it for insulation in houses and to make uh, ceilings with and all sorts of things. From 1900 onward, over 30 million tons of asbestos were used in houses in the United States. And it was only uh, 50 years after it first began to, use, began to be used that people realized that people who had had a lot of contact with asbestos were getting sick and dying just from breathing in particles of it. It's estimated that half a million people will die because of asbestos, die from cancer due to asbestos contamination. It's like other toxins as well, whether you're talking about Agent Orange, for instance, that harmed a lot of people in Vietnam, the soldiers that were there, and them coming down with things 30, 40 years later, that awful things that wind up taking their lives, lead poisoning that might come to you because your pipes in your house are made of lead, and you wind up with horrible diseases or something like that. The effects aren't necessarily right away, and sin's effects sometimes aren't right away either. But don't kid yourself about them not coming. I've talked to people who were smokers. I talked to people who were smokers when they were younger people. And they assured me that all oh, that stuff about smoking causing cancer, that's not real, that's not right, it's not going to hurt me. And uh, I preached the funeral of a man not too long ago who uh, died of lung cancer from smoking. He admitted to me before he died. And I tried to talk him out of it 30 years ago. So, that's how sin is. Jesus can undo what sin has done to the soul. And only He can. Only He can. And that's why we're so thankful for, as we talked about this morning, His amazing grace. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, and I said 1 John is a great little book that deals with all this, but he who sins is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning, but for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The work of the devil in your heart is to destroy you in the inward man. Jesus came to destroy that. We have to repent. We have to regret the things that we've done so that we won't regret repenting. Paul puts it this way, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. You will not regret. I have never known anybody that regretted repenting. Not one person. Nobody ever repented of a sin, uh, told me they repented, and came up to me later and said, I'm sorry I repented of that. It's never happened. You will not regret repenting. You will live with regrets if you don't repent. It's a simple choice. Cleansing and healing come when the blood of Jesus is applied. As we wind up in Psalm 51 and verse 7, Psalmist says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was used in uh, some of the ceremonial washings of the Old Testament, but also it was used to apply the blood uh, to things that were being cleansed in the temple and the tabernacle. It's just a branch of a tree. The text says, purge me with hyssop. Sprinkle the blood on me. I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Listen to what he's saying. I'll be healed. I'll get over all of this inward pain. Just purify me, God. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Not this heart that's miserable. Not this heart that's full, that full of regret. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cleanse me. Clean, cleanse me. Help me on the inward man to be right. Do not cast me away from Your presence. Do not take Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me by Your generous Spirit. Our robes can be cleansed and washed in the blood of the Lamb. The promise of Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 I think resounds to us. As Malachi writes, To you who fear the name, you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. Christ has come to heal us. He is our bright sun. He is our hope for tomorrow and our release from our past. That's Jesus. Our hope for tomorrow and our release from our past. And so what do you want to live with? Regret or remission? It's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? Choose remission tonight. If you have sins in your life that need to be confessed, repented of, that means turned away from, left behind you. Turn them over to God. If we can help you in any way, obey the Gospel, pray with you and for you, whatever it is, please come while we stand and sing.